Exodus 32. We have been for several weeks and sessions now studying this amazing uh, golden calf affair. And if you've not been with us, God miraculously brought his people out of bondage in Egypt after 430 years of slavery. He brought them through the Red Sea. They're on the way to the promised land. Moses is up on the mountaintop receiving the commandments from God on the tables of stone. And down to the base of the mountain, Aaron, the assistant pastor, is pressured by the congregation uh, to just, well, just sort of lighten up a little bit. Just, you know, be a little more broad-minded, a little more tolerant, a little more, um, a little more coexisting. And Aaron gives in to the people and makes for them a golden calf. And the people call it their God, and they sacrifice to it, and they begin to worship it. But, but a, a God that, that isn't real, a God that isn't alive, uh, is not going to keep the carnal nature and sinful desires of men and women in check. And, and before long, the people are, are dancing naked in front of this idol, and nobody really thinks much about it until Moses and Joshua come down from off the mountain And suddenly the Word of God presented by someone who stands for God, uh, well, it just interrupts the whole mess. And it comes to a literally a grinding halt. (laughs) Moses took that calf and he ground it to powder. He put it in the water. He made the people drink it. Now that's where we left off. And now Moses is going to deal with his associate. Moses is going to deal with Aaron, and we pick up the chapter, chapter 32, verse 21, Exodus 32, verse 21. We'll start at 19 for context, and it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, we we touched on that a little bit uh, Thursday night, And he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. Now, that's exactly what they said. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me. Then I I cast it into the fire. That's exactly what happened. And there came out this calf. That in, in modern terms, that's known as a whopper. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. There, there, there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under the shame of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. 
All right, Father, thank you for giving us the Bible. And first of all, I want to thank you for, for the great time we had singing your praise this morning and just how it, it brings such joy to our hearts, not just to think about what you've done for us, but to hear so many voices uh, with, with enthusiasm singing, with joy singing. Thank you, Father. Now, Lord, as we open the Bible, would you open our hearts and and place your truth inside our hearts and deal with us as as you see best, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when you read those words, I cast it in the fire and there came out this calf, you just, everybody that's read the story reacts in the same way. You just almost feel like you're, you're falling backward in your chair going, I can't believe this. And yet how many times in your life has someone told you a similar tale and you don't just wonder how they could come up with that story. You wonder how they could actually believe that you would believe the story they're telling you. And it's just amazing how once people are brought under the sway of falsehood, a false god and a false worship and a false religion amongst false men and women, how easy it becomes to speak falsely. And our society is just so permeated with with lying and deception and with untruth that it, it, it almost... You can't hardly function in business or society anymore if you're just absolutely truthful. You become some sort of a of a threat or some sort of an oddball or some sort of a well. What's wrong with you? You you know you got to go along to get along. And and Aaron, he's just he's so caught up in all the falsehood that falsehood from his heart comes out of his mouth. Now, in addition to that. If you've um, if you've had children and yours weren't among the few that that have have been in in our church from time to time who are perfect, if if you if your children were were not perfect, you have been on the receiving end of some of these whoppers. You you caught the boy or the girl doing what they did. You saw them do what they did. You you know what was involved in it, and you know why, but you're going to, you know, be the good mom and the good dad and say, can you explain to me what you're doing there? And if you'd have just written all those things down, what a book it would be. You did what? And this is Aaron. It's one of those... The first thing that comes into his mind comes out of his mouth and there's only one motive behind it and that is, it can't be my fault. Don't blame me. I didn't do this. I might have done everything up to the point of the calf, but the calf, that happened all by itself. In evolution on a, on a hyperscale. Now, you got to wonder, first of all, what Aaron and the people thought when they saw a man come walking into the camp who had spent 40 days in a volcano. 
Remember the mountain's on fire and it's smoking and the earth is quaking and the trumpets are sounding and they, they want a replacement for God because Moses is gone, he's not coming back. Now why you need a replacement for God, you'd think you'd need a replacement for Moses, not for God, but, but anyway, they, they didn't have much relationship with God. So here he comes walking into the camp. And that pretty much stopped all the music right there. And then Moses deals with the people with regard to the calf, and we read that. But now he turns to Aaron. And, and what you got to wonder, after you wonder how you can tell a lie like that, how you can tell it to a man who just spent 40 days with God. I mean, he's not trying to pull one over on a drinking buddy in, on a bar stool. This isn't two guys in a fishing boat telling big stories about the one that got away that was larger than the, than the ship and all that. This, he's been with God. He walks down out of the mountain with the words of God in his hand. The Bible said his face was glowing and radiating from being in the presence of God. And Aaron looks in the face of that man and says, it just came out. Just one day, one, one moment it was liquid gold and the next minute there was a calf here. Well, if there was, let's just, let's just suppose, let's do what moms do and dads do who are trying to get the kid to confess. Let's suppose that happened. Why are you naked? Let's suppose the calf just popped out of the fire. Why are you worshiping it? Why are you offering sacrifices to it? Just, just let, I'll go along with you, Aaron, for a minute here. You put gold in a fire which seems like a really dumb thing to do. And out came a calf. Okay, let's suppose that happened. How does that explain the rest of what you're doing? Do you have a dad like that? Well, you know that dad, there were some kids at school and they said that, that we should go do this. And he said, well, yeah. But why'd you do it? Well, you know, Dad, I, I, you know, I, I didn't mean it to happen the way it happened. Well, okay, but the minute it started happening, why did you go on with it? Yeah, right, yeah, right. And that's the thing about, about trying to lie your way out of a mess is it just makes the mess messier. Right. And so here's, here's Aaron being an example to all of us. What if the person you're lying to doesn't buy any of it. Now you just look like a liar on top of everything else. Should we use words like that? Yes, yes, absolutely. Now I don't know if it's a premeditated reply or if Aaron just came up with it on the spot, but either way, it's if it wasn't so serious, it'd be, it'd be very humorous. And don't you wish you could see the boiling rage on the face of one man and the desperate hope that the lie is going to work on the face of the other man as they stand looking at each other in front of the congregation of people. It's a moment when a man full of spiritual power confronts a man wholly given over to the flesh. And Aaron's not going to stand. It just can't, it just can't be. Now, the first half of Moses' question shows the confidence he had in Aaron. What did this people do? 
<laughs> what did this people unto thee? He just, he assumes he must have been forced. Surely they put a, well, they didn't put a gun to his head. Surely they put a, a sword to your head, a spear to your chest. Maybe they, they kidnapped your wife and children. They, they threatened to, to execute them if you, if you didn't make them a calf. Aaron, what did they do? What did they do to you? And many a time, a brother or sister in Christ watches another brother or sister fall and, and says, How'd this happen? You wouldn't have done this on your own. You, you would, surely you didn't participate in this without some sort of, of threat or some sort of danger. You didn't just run off of your own accord and, 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 and fall into this mess, did you? Because contrary to what people think, friends and family and pastors and, and Sunday school teachers, we really do like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And so Moses, he just, he just figures there's no way he would have done this unless he feared for his life. What was done is obvious, but why? That's the question. And he just cannot believe he'd have been willing to do something like this. That'd be a good thing to be held in reputation like that. And we ought to strive to live in such a way that if there ever was a golden calf anywhere near us, no one would ever believe that we had part in it. If there ever was a scene like this and, and there we were, that the question would be, well, I know you wouldn't have done this. But the lesson here is in line with the warnings we were given in the other passages we've studied this spring. We are all capable of sins of which no one else would think us capable. We're all capable of sins of which we do not consider ourselves capable. That's the warning. We have in our fallen nature the capacity to sink as low as any other son of Adam. What Moses thought Aaron would never have done and what Aaron did not believe he would ever do has been done. This is why the Holy Spirit said in Philippians 3.3, We worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. None. None. Just, Just... Get a little bit right there, just, just for a second, just don't trust it. You can't trust it. These same hands that can be lifted up in praise to God can be bowed in honor of a golden calf. These same lips that can praise the Lord can lie to God's preacher. We're all capable. And forward, you know, make a big deal about what Aaron did, and it is a big deal. 1 Corinthians 10 said, go there and read this for our admonition. Because what Aaron did, we can do. Now Moses' question continues with these words. We're in, we're in the 21st verse. What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? Now, all sins are an offense to God and hurtful to man. But some sins are great. 
Who said, well, you know, if you think it, you may as well do it. That's crazy talk. Well, everybody sins, so what's wrong with me shooting you in the face? Come on. Come on. There are a lot of sins, but there are great sins. That's what the Bible says. This one reaches beyond the prophet's ability to express. He calls it so great a sin. It's a transgression beyond measure. It's a, it's a crime for which he doesn't even have any words. Look at it. Uh, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them. You know, their works iniquity which have far-reaching consequences. This one undermines a nation's belief in a true and living God. That's a great sin. This one rejects all the wonders their eyes beheld and all the miracles in which they participated. It's a great sin. This, is one, this one is an act whereby a people freed from slavery voluntarily put themselves back into bondage. That's a great sin. This one renounces the Holy One in order that fleshly lust might be indulged. It's a great sin. Do you know this morning, if a man with a criminal record, if a man who's been in and out out of jails and prisons since he was 14 years old, do you know if that man robs a, a liquor store tonight, it will hardly get notice in the news. Did you know if a pastor robs a liquor store tonight, it'll probably be picked up nationally? You know why? Because the same sin becomes a great sin when it's committed by someone with influence and someone who is connected with the name and the work of God. Do you know, do you know your country really, they really don't have a problem with adultery unless perhaps they are the, the one who is hurt by the unfaithful spouse? They really don't care. If, if, you work, if you work a job with 40 men and 35 of those men went out this weekend and defiled another man's wife, the other 35 are likely bragging on him. Oh, good for you, man. Way to go. So, but if a pastor, and we're not saying it's right, but if a pastor commits adultery, it is scandal throughout the world of unbelievers who don't have a problem with adultery. It becomes a great sin because our name and our life is connected to and associated with the name of our God. This is why the Bible says, let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Everybody sins, but when Christians sin, it becomes greater Because it brings harm to the name of our God. It gives the world occasion to blaspheme and to speak against our God. Here these people, all their pent-up emotions of the last months or maybe the last year, watching ten plagues fall but never touch their homes be pretty exciting 
scary than thrilling. Whoa, look at that. Is it going to hit us? It didn't. Whoo! Nine times they went through that. Then the thrilling escape on Passover night. The terror of seeing the pursuing Egyptian army. The exhilaration over the Red Sea crossing. The absolute relief when the waters consumed their enemies. The realization they were free. They were free at last. All of that emotion burst forth. But not in waves of praise and worship and thanksgiving to the Lord. This energy was spent in a drunken, naked carnival of debauchery under the gaze of a graven idol. So great a sin. So great a sin. If I was born into a drunkard's home and lived a drunkard's life and woke up this morning under a drunkard's canvas in the woods with other drunkards and did not give thanks and praise to God, that would be a sin because everything that hath breath should praise the Lord. But to grow up in a good home, to grow up in a Christian church, to grow up with a Bible in hand, to spend years knowing the joy of salvation, to be able to sing this morning with the hope of eternal life, and to wake up and give no thanks to God, does that not become a far greater sin? Be one thing for the Egyptians to be bowing before an idol. But for these people... To be giving their praise and their enthusiasm and their joy and their love to idols? How can it be? I understand. I, listen, I do. I understand. People who don't know Jesus. They've got no hope in their heart. They've got little joy in their life. They have no peace that they look around in the, look, as they look around about in the world. I can understand why they would count down the hours until Saturday night. And they could come and spend their paycheck and get enough alcohol in them to get on dance floor and shout and holler and carry on. I get that. they got no hope in the world. I understand how somebody that doesn't know God, that doesn't know Jesus Christ, I can understand how they could sit in anticipation in the stands for an hour and a half with the sun beating down on their head and finally somebody kicked the ball in the net. I get how you'd be excited about that. But when the Lord looks down from heaven and sees rooms full of people whose sins have been washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ, whose iniquities have been pardoned, whose souls have been saved, who've been given eternal life in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Sunday morning, got to sit through another... But he's going to go another half hour. Amen. When the Lord sees people giving a golden calf all they've got and sees His people 
reluctant to give him little, if anything. And only doing so if they think they might get some kind of reward for it. Does it not become so great a sin? He's worthy of more. He's worthy of better. What the world calls fanaticism is is probably below average for God that's done so much for us. There's more to be learned from this question. Not only must we take heed to the sin which doth so easily beset us, and to the fact that some sins are much greater than others. But look look what he says in verse 21. What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin? Thou hast brought so great a sin upon them. He said, well, it's not Aaron's fault. It didn't happen when Moses was there. Everything, everything doesn't rise and fall with leadership, but any type of leadership you have, any type of influence you have, magnifies both the good that you can do and the harm that you can do. As their leader, Aaron could have and should have said no to their request. Had he boldly stood and rebuked them in the name of the Lord, the events of that day might well have gone quite differently. It was his duty under God, under Moses, and before the nation to forbid something he knew to be wrong. But instead of leading them on the paths of righteousness, or at least barring the way to the ruinous roads, he became an enabler. He facilitated their sin. He helped them carry out their vile intentions. We've got to think of every parent... Come on now. Who gives in to the wishes of a disobedient child. Well, I just want them to like me. They won't. They won't. Now they won't like you nor respect you. We must think of a society that gives in to the desires of every miscreant. Of every reprobate little group that says, we want it this way, we want it that way. And we want all the decent people to hush their mouths so we can be indecent. Got to think of every preacher this morning who's announcing to his congregation, we're going to abandon one more part of the Bible. We're going to give up one more bit of high ground. Because this modern generation doesn't want to be bothered with righteousness. Every youth leader raises the hemlines, lowers the necklines. Every youth leader that laughs at vulgarity instead of rebukes it. When we do not say no, when we do not fight against wrong, when we do not put on the whole armor of God and stand in opposition to the devil's wiles, We bring sin upon others. The older brother, whose whose stubbornness, the older brother, whose back-talking, the older brother, whose resentment of mom and dad's authority, 
has a great influence upon the younger siblings. More than you would know. I can remember as far back as, I mean, as far back as I can remember. I remember, now now I'm the old guy standing in the room telling the boys and girls, come on, sing, come on, sing. But I, I remember the fifth grade kids looking at the sixth grade kids to see how they sing. And if the tallest boy and the strongest boy and the coolest boy thought it was a drag to sing, Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. I sure don't want to impress God when I can impress Him. Guess what? He's not impressed because He's a sixth grader and you're a fifth grader. He's cool. The sophomores get to the high school and look to see how the seniors do it. Come on now. And the Bible says, Aaron, Aaron, you made them sin. You didn't order it, but you didn't stand in the way. It wasn't your idea, but you gave into it. There's a great responsibility to be the leader. Whether you're a president, a governor, a pastor, a mom, a dad, the older sibling... The Sunday school teacher, the oldest child in the youth group. People are watching you, they're following your example, who don't even know they're watching you and following your example. You get a rotten kid in a home, if you're not careful, it'll spoil every kid in that household. Mom gets bitter against God and disobedient, ruin everything dad tries to do. Dad trying to, uh, mom trying to live for the Lord and dad wants to, wants to be a, a, a bum. Don't want to earn a living. Don't want to go to church. Listen, some of you grew up with that. Bad situations. Difficult situations. Would they still do the terrible thing? Perhaps. Would it have made a difference? Who knows? Would one man standing for God really alter the course of events? We can't say for sure in every case. But as soon as Moses showed up, it stopped. As soon as Moses was gone, it got going. You can't say one man doesn't make a difference. Eli was censured. He was a priest. 1 Samuel 3. For not restraining his sons. Eli didn't do what they did, but he didn't keep them from doing it. Lord said, bring you down. Bad example. Peter was rebuked for allowing falsehood to enter the church at Galatia. God sent... God sent Paul down there. Paul rebuked Peter to the face. He said, all this falsehood, all this false doctrines got in here. You're to be blamed. He's supposed to stood there and kept it out. God not only expects us to set the right example, but where that example is not willingly followed, we must stand between men and their sin and do all we can to stop it. Holy Spirit wrote to Titus. Titus was pastor at the church at Crete. And the Holy Spirit said, in Titus chapter 1, verse 11, there were some people coming in that church were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. They were saying things they shouldn't have been saying. And the Holy Spirit said to Titus, Pastor, here's your job. Whose mouths must be stopped. You can't make them be right. You can't even make them do right. But you can keep them from doing wrong here. 
And God said, you must do it. How about that? And so here was Aaron's response. Bible's so modern. It's so up to date. It's so with the times. To use a phrase from 40 years ago. Verse 22, Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. (laughs) You, You know how the people are. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. Well, if the, if the people are set on mischief, that's all the more reason not let them have their way. <laughs> Under the fierce scrutiny of a holy man, Aaron plays the part of a child caught stealing cookies. Part of a teenager caught doing things mom and dad have forbidden. Part of a modern American church member responding to the preaching of the word. Cool it, Moses. What's the big deal? Don't make such an issue. Settle down. Stop being judgmental. Who made you the boss? God gave me peace about it. I felt led. Obviously, what is a horrible sin to somebody walking close to God is a minor offense to a carnal man. Moses called it so great a sin, Aaron called it not a big deal. Now, the way you view what the Bible says says more about you than it does the Bible. The position I would take on what the Scripture forbids and the emphasis I would give to what the Scripture commands says more about me than it does the Bible. The Bible stands. Heaven and earth will pass away. God's Word will not pass away. Those who live after the flesh cannot understand why anyone would view their actions as sinful. Those who walk in the Spirit marvel that people who claim the name of the Lord could live such dirty lives. In this brief shot of two men staring into each other's eyes, we see a scene played out every time a preacher proclaims the truth. Every time a parent scolds a rebel. Every time a devoted Christian seeks to instruct a nominal church member. One man saying, come on, how can you live this way? And the other man saying, what's your problem? God got me out of Egypt, I'm going to a promised land, who cares what I do in, in between? I mean, this is the microcosm. What's tough is sometimes it's me looking at me. Sometimes it's you looking at you. Sometimes it's the flesh warring against the spirit and the old man doing battle with the new man. And one of you saying, come on, let's live for Jesus. And the other one of you saying, would you get off my back? One is indignant that the other could so carelessly sin against the Almighty and shrug it off as though it were nothing. The other is indignant that his deeds would be called into question. Who are you? (laughs) 
to ask me where I was. Who are you to ask me why I got involved in that situation? Who are you, who are you to question me? I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I'm your best friend. I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm, well, it's none of your business. Well, you know what's funny? The people that are sinning, you don't mind it being their business. How come the only people that's none of their business are the people who want to do right? And then you turn it around and these, you know, these people, you're out handing out gospel tracts, not harming a soul. Sir, can I give you something to read about Jesus? How about you? Can I give you something to read about Jesus? Somebody comes over and says, why don't you, you stop shoving this stuff down people's throats? Move along. Oh, oh, you don't, you don't want to talk to me? No, I don't. Why would I try to explain the joy of telling people about Jesus Christ to someone who at the very thought of someone exercising their liberty and their free speech and, and you know, somebody who's tolerant and broad-minded and live and let live and everybody should be... The fact that that person came across the street to get in my face and yell at me, I, we've got nothing to talk about here. And man, I tell you, that goes on all day long, doesn't it? What are you doing, says mom to the daughter? Nothing. Nothing. Your fingers are flying furiously over the keyboard. You're smiling. You're laughing. What, 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 what's going on? Nothing. Nothing. Well, if it's nothing, put the phone in the commode. If it's nothing... Take the computer down to the pawn shop. Something's going on there. Why is it none of your business to the person who cares more for you than anybody on earth? Dad walks in. What you doing, son? Nothing. I heard a lot of conversation. And who are you talking to? Nobody. What are you, insane? You either see invisible people or you're talking to a teddy bear. You're 17, son. What, I, mean, <laughs> I heard you talking. I heard you laughing. I heard you saying, man, that's going to be great. See you then. Where are you going? Nowhere. It just came out of the fire. It's none of your business. Here's a little group of people talking fervently in the, in the, in the church parking lot and the pastor walks up or one of the deacons walks up or somebody that's living for the Lord walks up. Hi. Hi. What are y'all talking about? Nothing. That was a lot of chatter for nothing. Oh yeah, it was, it was nothing. Well, what was that? Nothing. Nothing. And you walk away, and as soon as you're out of earshot, here it goes cranking back up again. I don't want to be in the circle that stops talking when the preacher walks up. I don't want to be welcome in that circle. I don't want to be talking to people on the phone that i got to quit talking to when mom and dad come in the room. I don't want to be engaged in conversation that I wouldn't want my brother or sister to report on. 
Come on, Moses, you know how the people are. Don't be angry, be tolerant. Those are the thoughts and intents of the idolater's heart. These are the words of those who'd rather please men than please God. <laughs> For they said unto me, look at, look at the passage. We're getting, we're getting down here now. 23, they said unto me, make us gods. Who doesn't know how to answer that? Aaron knew the right answer. Not a matter of knowing right from wrong. Make us gods which should go before us, for as Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not was become of him. And I, I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. Pretty accurate account. So far, so good. Perhaps he's going to come clean. And they gave it me, and I cast in the fire. Okay, okay. Come on, Aaron. Confess. Repent. Let's get it right. And there came out this calf. Now, now, come on, think about it. If the situation weren't so grave, it'd be hilarious. There came out this calf. This, this might be the biggest lie anybody ever told. He's denying that he made the calf. He's denying there was a graving tool. He's saying he never so much as touched the molten metal. All he did was toss in the gold and poof! <laughs> no, wait, no. It's, it's not just calf. Look in the fire. I threw the gold in. Look in there. There's a calf. No, he says... Out came this calf. Did it fly? Was it walking? How, Aaron, how did it come out? Two legs? Four legs? Cartwheels? Oh man, Moses should have been here. Just We all watched in wonder as the calf came out. <laughs> now here's what's so bad about that. All those people, they were in a place, that the name of the country was Egypt. You know what God called it in the scriptures? An iron furnace. He called it an iron furnace. And God by His power reached down into Egypt and brought them out. And they have no worship for a God who brought them out of a furnace and set them in a, on the road to a promised land. But they'll make up some crazy story about a gold calf flying out of a furnace and they'll worship that. Isn't that sad? Now, here we go. It's a natural tendency of the human heart to cover sin rather than confess it. We know. Come on. We, we get that. We all understand that. We, we, we so wish to justify our actions that we'll say and do just about anything rather than confess and forsake our sins. We'll make up stories nobody could possibly believe. We'll, we'll add layer upon layer upon layer to the tale. We'll get it so twisted and tangled up we can't tell it straight at the same way twice. Well, people do that all the time. The excuses people make for wrongdoing are often ridiculous. But self-love and self-defense usually rule the day. Everyone on the scene knew what Aaron had done. 
But that didn't stop him from spouting nonsense when he was confronted. The obvious lesson here is that our sin will find us out. And when it does, the sooner we can own up to it, repent and forsake it, the sooner we can be on our way to restoration. Aaron did not hide his sin with his lie. He just made it greater. The obvious lesson here. Ever since the first couple hid from God in the garden, fallen man has thought he can escape the searching eye of the Holy One. Let's forsake this silly notion and come to the God of all grace in those hours when we've made a mess out of things. God has sure been good to pardon me a million times and more. And He'll do the same for you. As soon as we repent. One last thought was sing and pray and, and be on our way to never tell another whopper. Here's a bad part. I mean, look, the calf is bad, and the, and the things that happen around the calf are bad, and, and lying to Moses is bad, but, but here's what's really tough. Moses is also a man. Moses also is beset with everything that humans are beset with. Don't you know for the next... 40 years, as Moses and Aaron lead the people together through the wilderness wanderings, don't you know every time Aaron said, Hey Moses, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a big flock of quail flying in from the Lord. Every time Aaron brought Moses a report, Moses probably thought, I wonder. I wonder if that's true. Uh, okay, Aaron, we'll see. The loss of trust and the loss of confidence. Well, he said he forgave me. Well, you, you know, you, for, you can forgive people, but you can't justify. Only God can declare righteous and, and wipe all that stuff away like it was never there. Men can't do that. Men aren't able to do that. Yeah. You're unfaithful to your brothers and sisters in Christ, unfaithful to your spouse, un, un, unfaithful in your, in your daily life and your duties and responsibilities. That's, it's so great a sin because the people who want to get over it can't get over it. The people who want things to be like they were have a hard time ever letting things be like they were. So if you ever make a mess, and I hope you, hope you don't, but we probably all will. You ever make a mess just as, as quick as somebody who cares for you brings it to your attention, just go ahead and deal with it. Amen. Get out in the open, cover it up. Say, you know, it's a terrible thing. If people are putting pressure on me. I want them to like me. And, and I, honestly, Moses, I, God's so strict and he's so demanding. And, and I just, it just... I don't, it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And I, I see now it was, 
it was wrong, I guess. I, I don't even know if I really see that it's all that wrong, Moses, but, you know, I'm sorry. I'd carry a lot more weight and go a lot farther toward restoring things than making up some wild tale about a flying golden bull. Aaron believed in evolution. He knew he couldn't prove it, and he knew nobody in their right mind would believe it. But he thought he'd try and teach it to see if it'd get him out of trouble with God. (laughs) But it didn't. Well, you know, there was this dust cloud, and we put it in a fire, and this earth came out. There was this old of I gorge, and we put a couple of chimps in there, and the human race came out. It was just, you should have been there, Moses. It was, wow. It's called a whopper. Nobody's buying it. Nobody's buying it. Okay. I, I, we'd ask for a show of hands. If anybody in here has ever been caught doing something, put on the spot, and lied. But it'd be a waste of time because nobody would need, nobody in this crowd would ever have to raise their hand. But if ever you do something you shouldn't have done, and if ever you are caught and confronted, don't make it worse by lying about it. Tell the truth so you can start getting the help and the restoration that you need. There was a, 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 a great Bible scholar once said, the cover-up is almost always more damaging than the crime. That was um, uh, Richard Nixon, I believe he was a great, great Bible, Bible teacher. Can you imagine being shocked by a president lying? Oh, for the good old days. <laughs> The guy had to resign because he lied about something. Come a long way in 40 years, haven't we? (laughs) All right. God said, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Aaron did. It cost him dearly. Let's Let's not repeat these mistakes. Let's learn from them. Amen. Amen.